Well, we're making our way through the book of Acts, and we've gotten all the way to Acts chapter 11, where today you're going to see that the gospel, for the first time, has made its way into a really big city, the city of Antioch. So what do we know about Antioch? Antioch was the capital of Syria, located 400 miles north of Jerusalem, and was the third largest city in the Roman Empire. In other words, after New York City and Los Angeles, Antioch was the Chicago of the Roman Empire, which means that it was 15 to 20 times bigger and more densely populated than the city of Jerusalem. So how is God going to build his church and spread the gospel through a big urban city? Well, what you're going to see today is that God still does in big cities what God has been doing from the very beginning. He uses some of his people to accomplish his purposes. And what you're going to see today, sometimes those people are not any of the all-stars or the big names that you think he would have to use to get it done like Paul and Peter. Turn with me to Acts chapter 11. Turn with me to Acts chapter 11 and you follow along as I begin reading in verse 19. Acts eleven nineteen. Now those who were scattered after the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, preaching the word to no one but the Jews only. But some of them were men from Cyprus and Cyrene who, when they had come to Antioch, spoke to the Greeks or Hellenists, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them. And a great number believed and turned to the Lord. Then news of these things came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent out Barnabas to go as far as Antioch. When he came... And had seen the grace of God. He was glad. And encouraged them all that with purpose of heart they should continue with the Lord. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. Then Barnabas departed for Tarsus to seek Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. So it was that for a whole year they assembled with the church and taught a great many people. And the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. Now, did you notice how Dr. Luke, he's the author of this book, how Dr. Luke, who penned this book, zooms in on one particular man and actually spills a lot of ink describing him for us, even though he's not one of the big-time names that you'll see all through the book of Acts, like Peter or Paul. Who am I talking about? Barnabas. But here's why I'm excited about this passage today. Because I believe there are a bunch of Barnabases sitting in our church family, who would say, oh, I'm no Peter, I'm no Apostle Paul, that's for sure. And you think by declaring that, that somehow you've been set aside and sidelined as someone that God could not use greatly in his kingdom because it has to be the big names. Ooh, I think this message is gonna really encourage you or terrify you. Either way, I'll be happy to stir you up Because I want to show you how God used Barnabas, not because of his incredible gifting, but because he was living for what matters most. You can't change your gifting. God decides that. Every single person sitting here can decide how you're going to live. Am I going to get caught up in the things of this world and lost with the right here, right now? Or am I going to live for what matters most? most. This is a message to every person sitting here. So let's unpack that because I think we can get it from Barnabas. What would it look like to live for what matters most? Well, here's the first thing I want you to get. Number one, when you're living for what matters most, you're not locked into the comfort of what you know, but are willing to go. 
That's what you see happening in this chapter. God is on the move, and so are some of his people. Because God uses his people to, I hope, you, I hope you're starting to say to yourself, goodness, you say that a lot in this series. Here's why I say it a lot, because it's in the book of Acts a lot. There are some themes in the book of Acts like Holy Spirit, courage, gospel, and God uses his people to accomplish his purposes. Could God get things done without us? He just chooses not to. He uses his people. So when God is on the move, that means some of his people are on the move. Look at verse 21 and 22 again. And the hand of the Lord was with them. That's what was going on in Antioch. Look at me. The hand of the Lord was with them. Is the hand of the Lord inadequate? Is the hand of the Lord not enough? Does someone need to help the hand of the Lord? No. But notice, the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned to the Lord. Then news of these things came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent out Barnabas to go as far as Antioch. Get this, folks. It's a theme all through the Bible. God's movements are always bigger than ours. But in most cases, the movement of God necessitates the movement of some of his people. It's how he works. He chooses to work through his people. And you say, why would he do that? Here's why he does it, folks. Because when broken, weak, less than perfect people are used, incredible things happen, and people realize, well, it can't be her, it can't be him. I see all the flaws. God gets the glory. God gets the glory, and he also delights in using his children, not just saving them and setting them aside. Working through them, working through them, working through them, putting on display power in weakness, power in the midst of less than perfection. It's how he rolls. When God moves... I hope you know he still is today. He's on the move. This is reflected in the story of own own church family. You realize that? Some of you may not know. So there, there were five families in Milford, Ohio, attending a great big free church, evangelical free, faith evangelical free, that had facilities, had choirs, had wonderful children's program, had great worship music. But God was moving. There was no evangelical free church in northern Kentucky. God was stirring and moving. And those five families, some of them are still in this place 25 years later, thought they wanted to be a part of it. God was calling them. I hope you realize that was hard for mamas especially. They had lots of little kids. Some of these families had six and seven little kids. They went and started meeting in a conference room and then a middle school where you've got gum and food on sad little plastic chairs There was no music, there was no children's program, there was no Sunday school, there was nothing. So they sacrificed, they took a risk, they believed, and at the same time there was a young man in South Carolina who also was being stirred by God even though he had a ranch brick home with a fenced in backyard that his wife loved. And even though his wife had dear friends for 15 years there and all her babies had been born there and everybody loved them dearly, it was not a bad thing. You're only supposed to leave a church when they hate you, right? stirring in my heart was oh I think I think God wants me to do a new thing but it was a risk to load up my babies and my wife who was eight months pregnant in our Tara station way and, and come here and again now and we met in a high school that had no air conditioning your babies sweated for the glory of God in there <laughs> that Dixie high school had been built in 1938 it was not a nice place They've done some work since then. Sacrifices were made, but look what God has done. And it doesn't end. You realize five years ago we said, oh, we don't want to build a massive, we don't want to borrow more money, relocate to 50 acres. We're out of parking. We're having to shuttle people from a bank. We don't want to be some mega church that just stacks people. What are we going to do? We said, let's go to where people are, and we took a risk. Some people sacrificed. You guys, some of our best people started meeting in a dim, dark movie theater in Newport where you had to pay for parking in a garage, and all over again, there was no great children's ministry. There was no, they left this to go do 
that because we believed God was moving and those 100 people have become 450 people. Not just that left here and went over there. New people that have come to faith in Christ, that are being taught, that are being, being equipped, that are being helped. And now here we are about to do it again because the elders were waiting on the Lord, listening to the Lord saying, where do you want to We believe God's moving in independence. So we're not just trying to make things happen, folks. We want to get in on what God is doing. And our God is on the move. And because God is on the move, it necessitates the move of some of his people. So my question for you is this. Could God use you? Or have you stopped listening a long time ago? I've done my time. I'm settled in. This is sweet. I love Jesus, but we'll let some other people sacrifice or no more adventure for me. Have you stopped listening? And have you settled into the mindset that all my tomorrows are just going to look an awful lot like today? Could God tap you? And would you even be open to it or paying attention? Barnabas had not stopped listening and had not settled into the Jewish Jerusalem dream. You do realize America is not the only place people dream. The American dream is not the only dream. He loved Jerusalem. That's what he knew. But because he knew God was moving 400 miles north of Jerusalem, that's another country, folks. It's a scary country, Syria. And the church tapped him and said, we think we want to send you. And he went. And from all evidence in the scripture, he never went back home to Jerusalem. I don't know about you. I don't want to miss out on something God might be doing. I don't want to just watch it happen. I want to be open to saying, Lord, do you want me to be a part of what's happening? Now, this is not a poor God message. Please don't know, oh, be open, because otherwise God can't do what he wants to do. Oh, that is not. It's like, be open, because God is going to do what he wants to do. He'll just use somebody else. You do realize one of the greatest joys in this life is having a sense that your life matters and that it's real. There's an adventure. There's this thing called grace. There is a God. There's a Holy Spirit. I'm not just plotting out and graphing my life. I'm listening. I'm listening. And there's an excitement to that. Some of you are wondering why your life is so boring. Binging on Netflix and just not listening anymore to the Lord does get pretty boring. Yes. Regardless of your age... Would you start listening? What might God tap you for, prompt you? And it doesn't have to be as big as another campus or another country. He may want you to start a Bible study at work, but it's a risk. He might want you to post an advertisement, say who would be interested, do something in the neighborhood, start a conversation with somebody. Do you ever take risk, and are you open to what the Holy Spirit might want to do through you? Because he's on the move. He's on the move. People who live for what matters most have not settled into comfortable. They're listening. Number two, here's what else you see about people who are living for what matters most. You'll have spiritual eyes to see grace in the midst of people's mess. Not everybody can do that. Look at verse 23. When he came, that's to Antioch, when he came and had seen The grace of God. He was glad. Now stay with me. I hope you realize grace, it's a great word. We love it, right? We sing grace. We talk about grace. Grace is not some word that just floats around in some theological cloud. How would you see the grace of God? He saw the grace of God in people who had been impacted by the gospel of God. Grace. He saw it in people. People. That's how he saw it. He saw the effects of grace in people who were coming to Christ. But now stay with me. Because when people are impacted by grace, there's still a lot of mess that remains. Have you noticed that? Not just sometimes. Always. But some of you have this. I can only see it in people who have it all together. It has to look just like He was able to see grace in the midst of people's, yes, grace, and yes, mess. 
that remains. So here's what I want you to get a hold of. People who live for what matters most, it's like their spirit is tuned into the frequency of grace. It doesn't have to be robust. It doesn't have to be all cleaned up. It doesn't have to be minus mess. They are tuned into the frequency of grace so that they have eyes to see it even when there's still mess that remains. Not everybody can do that. Not everybody wants to do that. But when you're living for what matters most, you can do it. It just changes. Now, trust me, this is not natural. This is supernatural. And, I, and, and so I regularly pray for myself. I say, oh God, help me to have eyes. Help me to be able to see evidence of grace in people's lives that are still far from perfect. That, to see it still in the tangled tapestry and the confusing journey that there's still not all that God is going to do or be in them, but they're on their way. It has started. There's grace there. Help me to see it. You say, why does it matter? Folks, you will not be very encouraging to anyone, and you will not be very useful in the kingdom. Ministry is messy. There's this grace and mess mix. And if you don't have eyes to see grace in the midst of it, you just won't be used very much in the kingdom. He had eyes. He was tuned in to the frequency of grace. See, here's our tendency. Human nature is such, if you've raised any kids, then you know how you bump into this and think, I've got to stop doing that. Oh, I hope you realized you need to stop doing that. Here's what you want to see in your kids, or here's what you want to see in people. Here's where they are. Now, it's your choice. Some people just focus on the gap. I call it gap parenting. Yeah, but... Yeah, great. A's and everything. What about this B in biology? Huh? What's wrong? Step it up, B guy. That is so discouraging. But some people approach discipleship and trying to do ministry with other people the same way. My job is to throw a flag and blow the whistle and point out the gap, the gap, the gap, the gap. You may not realize it, but that's the reason people are pulling back from you, gap guy. You just won't be used very much. Is your spirit tuned in to the frequency of grace to the extent that you have eyes to see it in the midst of the mess that remains? People who are living for what matters most do. And that is why he had such a remarkable gift of encouragement, which is what I want to go to next. Number three, when you're living for what matters most, you recognize that life change happens best at close range. Life change happens best at close range. Let me show you where I'm getting this. Look at verse 23 again. It says that Barnabas encouraged them all that with purpose of heart they should continue with the Lord. Folks, I hope you realize starting with Jesus is not the only thing that matters. Going on, staying, continuing with Jesus is what matters most. The Bible talks about all, it is easy to start things. Some of you are living proof. Look around your property. You started this, it ain't done. You started that, that's not done. You've, some of you are great starters. You finished nothing. That's our human tendency. It's the same spiritually, you guys. Yay, when God starts a work of grace in a man or woman. But there need to be people that show them how to continue. There need to be people who come alongside and help them stay with it. Stay with That's the messier job. That's harder. That's filled with ups and downs. That's filled with highs and lows. That's filled with moments of celebration and moments of great disappointment. When you think, you still? Yeah. But that's, and here's what I want you to realize That ministry I'm now talking about and describing to you is a ministry that every believer can be a part of and is supposed to be a part of. You don't have to be incredibly gifted to do that, but you do need to be tuned into the frequency of grace and humble and love people and be listening to the Holy Spirit that you haven't settled into comfort and you're done. He was, and now if that word encouragement falls flat on you, I know in the English 
That's, that's, that doesn't grip us like it should. Let me, let me unpack what the original word was in the Greek and help you understand what really is being said there. That was a Greek word, parakaleo, made up of two words. Kaleo was a word that meant to call out and to point someone to truth, and it is a strong, forceful word. It's not a suggestion. It's a, it's a cry out and point someone to truth. It's strong and forceful. Then the word para is a word that means to come alongside someone, up close, draw near, you move towards them, and it's tender. So this is a strong but personal and tender word. Parakaleo. It's where we get our English word paramedic. Do you make an appointment with a paramedic? No. They come to you. They find you in a crisis, in an emergency. And it's usually one-on-one. There might be a big mess and there's multiple injured people, so they send many of them. But they work one at a time, and you didn't sign up or make an appointment. They found you. They went to you. They get close. That's what this word is about. Parakaleo. Speak, in other words, this would capture it. Speaking the truth in love at close range. Speaking the truth in love So here's preaching, and I love it. But folks, where would our church be if this was all we had? Some of you think it'd be fine, because that's all I do. I come to the Sunday sermon. You're not as fine as you think you are. This is great, but this is so necessary. This additional speaking so that you can continue and stay with it and continue with the Lord and finish well. So if it's captured by, and, and, and so here, Eugene Peterson was a Greek professor, so he captures this well. He could see what was in the original. Here's how he translated this verse in the message paraphrase. He said this, he threw himself in with them, got behind them, urging them to stay with it for life. I love that. Do you hear how much, pers- how much more personal that is? And me- when you throw yourself in with someone, now their mess a little bit is your mess. And you're behind them. You're not against them. You're helping them. And there's this pleading. You're urging them. You're speaking truth. So it's more than just let me hold your hand. I love you. So you love them. You're with them. You're close. You've thrown yourself in with them. But you're urging. You're speaking the truth in Love. But let me un- unpack that even, because as soon as I say it's speaking the truth in love, here's what just happened based on personalities and preference. Some of you just heard the word love and said, Yeah, love. It's just a great big hug. And I can give hugs. Okay, great. But some of you, all you heard was the truth part teaching, exhorting, proclaiming. And that's our tendency extremes. So let me help you know what speaking the truth in love at close range looks like by giving you some word pictures and steering you away from the imbalance. Our human nature is towards extreme and imbalance. One of the greatest challenges as a believer is to see all that the word says and hold on to the biblical tension in the middle. So let me push off the table some of these things that this is not what we're talking about when we say speak the truth in love. When you're speaking the truth in love, you are not just a parrot that listens well and then repeats back to them what you heard them saying, saying, I hear you saying you're angry and confused. Now, please know, parakaleo, you do listen well, but you do more than just parrot back to them what you heard them say. When you're speaking the truth in love, you're also not just a detective who's looking for sin in their life as if suffering doesn't exist and doesn't matter. I'm just sniffing out sin and throwing Bible verses at it. Sniffing out sin and throwing Bible verses at it. That's not speaking the truth in love. When you're speaking the truth in love, you're also not a florist who just rearranges everything that already exists in their life and says, girl, you look beautiful. Don't change a thing. Wash your face, but don't change a thing little jab there that's not speaking the truth in love 
When you're speaking the truth in love, you're not a drill sergeant who just barks at them and says, drop and get me, give me 50. Memorize these verses. Read this Bible chapter. Call me in the morning. I'll give you more to do. And when you're speaking the truth in love, you're certainly not a judge who just rises up and says, you did what? I can't believe that. You call yourself a Christian? You ought to be ashamed of yourself. All right, so I hope I've got you to the point where you're like, okay, then what is it? Because I like some of those. Here's what speaking the truth, and here's what Barnabas was doing by God's spirit and frequency of grace. Here's what he was doing that was so effective. A person who practices this kind of parakaleo ministry is someone who takes the time, it will take time, to sit with someone and listen so well to them, you don't interrupt, that when they're done, you're able to summarize and say back to them so well what they said that they rise up and say, yes, that's what I'm saying. That's it. But then, by God's grace and with his spirit, you push back. You push back with the truth of God's word about anything you heard. Not everything, but maybe just pick one thing that's not in line with God's word. Because you want to help them. Life's going to continue to be hard. They're going to continue to suffer more than they might have to if they don't really understand what God's word says. And you do it in a context where you're vulnerable enough and transparent enough that it doesn't sound like you're coming from the high ground. You reveal enough of your own struggles that they know they are sitting with a fellow struggler, sufferer, sinner, saint. And so they're willing to open up Because they think, I can relate to her. I can relate to him. You don't have to have the exact problem that they have. But you need to reveal that you do have problems and that you're not perfect. That's parakaleo. Now, I hope you're starting to realize now, who in this room could do that? If you're a Christian, raise your hand. Oh, tag your it. Lace up and get on the field, my friend. (laughs) Some of you weren't even on the bench. You were in the stands with a little frosty thing saying, go, go, Brad, go, Peter, go, go, Eric, yay. Put down your frosty malt, lay down the pom-poms. You're on the field, my friend. You're on the field. Anybody, every believer can do this. Every believer should do this. To some degree. You see, the church and the Holy Spirit sent Barnabas to Antioch to do something very different than what was already happening. Evangelism was already happening. Preaching sermons was already happening. He didn't go there to repeat that. He did not begin to preach sermons. He did not try to evangelize. He jumped in and began to come up close to individual people, and he threw himself in with them. He got behind them, and he held on to them, speaking the truth in love to help them stay with it, stay with it. That's why that word continue is there, to continue, to continue, to continue, to continue. Now, let me make something else clear that I feel like I need to poke for a minute in the day that we live in because of the high-tech day we live in. I'm so grateful for technology for many, many reasons. Very grateful. Because some of you are going to think, oh, you sound old. I'm grateful. But I want you to understand this kind of parakaleo ministry can only be done in real time, sitting down face-to-face, with a real person. Some of you are like, bummer, I don't ever do that. I don't even talk to the person I'm sitting with. I look at my phone, they look at their phone. Repent. (laughs) Repent. There's a person created in the image of God sitting in front of you. Give them your first thoughts and attention and heart. You cannot do this kind of parakaleo ministry apart from sitting down in real time with real people face to face. You can't do it through text, Twitter, Snapchat, email, Facebook, 
or Instagram. If you want to do this, you have to start kicking it old school with real people in real time, face to face. Thank you. It's like, it drives me crazy, you guys. Someone will text me a long, gnarly, it's not one question, it's five questions. I don't want to answer that with my thumbs. So I call them because they just texted me. I know their phone's in their hand. You just used it. I call. No answer. I'm like, pick up your dang phone. I know you're there. I know you're there. It's like, oh, that. And here's what I've literally heard from my 20-somethings in my home. That is so awkward. Oh, that's awkward. You called. It's not awkward. It's so normal. You were awkward. You are so awkward. We used to talk to people, and then we talked on the phone, and you can hear their voice and inflection and tone, and you don't have to wonder, are they mad? I don't know. That word could be taken either way. I don't know. You don't know because you're texting. Stop it. Pick up your phone, and even when it goes off the rails then, because you can't see each other's face, say, let's meet. You're like, that's going to take time. Yes, and people are worth the time. God didn't send us a text. He didn't Snapchat. He didn't point us to his Facebook page. He took on flesh and came into this world. And we are now his representatives. We need to do it the Jesus way with skin on you, skin on you, and skin in the game. And it would solve so many problems and confusion that happens as people are trying to do things through these medias. Please know I'm grateful, but I'm convinced after 33 years of being a pastor that the internet and social media are great for entertainment. One more puppy doing something cute. Wonderful. And they're great for access quickly to information. They are the death of real, meaningful, face-to-face ministry, life-changing moments. Some of you are missing out. My sister-in-law is about my age. She's being interviewed for a job in Atlanta. And here's what the employer said. They said, oh, do you talk on the phone? She said, yes, I talk. Will you call customers? Yes. They said, Oh my goodness, we can't find people who will make phone calls. We've hired all these 20-something-year-olds, and all they want to do is text and email the customer. And when the customer calls them back, they get a voicemail, and they hate it. We're hiring you because you're old, and you'll actually talk to people. (laughs) Some of you want a job? You want a job? Start using your phone. You might be employed soon. They're looking for people who will talk to other people. But I digress. That was longer than what the first service got. I'm getting ramped up. Okay. And you say, why does it matter, Brad? Why does it matter? Oh, listen to me. Look, this is not an optional ministry. It's not like preach and teach and proclaim. And maybe if someone's interested in this paracoleto, get that going. It's not optional. It's essential. Look what When Barnabas began to stir up this parakaleo, coming alongside at close range, jumping in with them, getting behind them, holding on to them, what happened? Look at verse 24. And a great many people were added to the Lord. He wasn't preaching. He wasn't teaching. He wasn't big time proclaiming. It was up close, one at a time. Here's what I want you to understand. The effect of this kind of close-range ministry is that every other ministry begins to take off and take root and grow and thrive and get healthy because this parakaleo ministry is like fertilizer or miracle grow to everything else that you're wanting to see happen in a church family. And I do believe you guys... It is why we've had the privilege of seeing God do what he has done, is doing, and I hope will do through the Grace Fellowship family. It's not just preaching. Do you realize there are churches that have equally good preaching as what we have here and many who have better But they're not seeing happen the life change that we're seeing. People ready to go out and love their neighbors, help their community, make a difference. They're not. Why? Because they believe proclamation is enough without parakaleo. It's not. 
This makes everything else healthier, which is why, here we go, some of you are going to feel awkward, which is why we have core ministries like community groups, believers at close range, because we believe good things happen there where you can help people stay and continue. And even if you don't think you need it, which is so not true, someone else there needs your gift. You're stewards of the manifold grace of God. You get up close to each other. All this good stuff starts to happen that's beyond preaching, which is why we have a core ministry like biblical counseling, that when someone gets upside down and stuck, someone will sit down, throw themselves in with them, get behind them, and urge them with God's word how to continue on or to repent. These ministries, that's why I want to give a shout out to Dr. Mark Shaw, who heads up counseling, And David Michael, who's leading community groups. And Bob Greenwood, who for 15 years served with me to get a biblical counseling ministry. It's not like on the side is optional. These are the ministries that have been the miracle grow and fertilizer that has caused everything else to take off. And it's not just like we thought, oh, let's do that. We saw it in the Bible. That's why I left South Carolina. You guys, I did not come over here to do the same thing in a different zip code. I got in my car and took a risk because I said, I don't think this whole preaching so much is getting it done. We had a Sunday night service with another amazing sermon. We had Sunday school classes all over the place with adults going through all kinds of books of the Bible. And I concluded, why don't I see more life change? Why don't I see more people being equipped and making a difference I think there's a different structure needed. I think something's missing. And I said, I want small groups with people at close range. And I want biblical counseling where we equip everyone to know how to help another real person with a real problem using their Bible. And look what God has done. But we need you. God is probably tapping some of you that stopped listening. You could be a part of this. Let me show you something else that begins to kick in when you start living for what matters most. Number four, you'll start looking for others who can do it better. Oh, this jumped out at me as much as anything else in this passage when I dug into it this week. Because it is so radically different than what our flesh would lead us to do. Let me show you what I'm talking about. Look at the end of verse 24 and stay with me while I read through 26. And a great many people were added to the Lord. Look at me. It's happening. Why would you hit pause and go get somebody else? It's happening. Barnabas hit pause right at that moment. Then Barnabas departed for Tarsus to seek Saul. And when he'd found him, he brought him back to Antioch so that it was for a whole year, new pronoun, they assembled with the church and taught a great many people. Do you realize what just happened that most people won't do? When something great is already going on, it says many people will come to the Lord. Human nature, being what it is, most people would stay and bask in it and say, please attach my name to some of this. Please give me some credit for this. We don't need anybody else. Look what Barnabas didn't do that. Barnabas literally began to pull back and fade into the shadows and went and found somebody else, a a newbie. And he said, I think I know somebody else who's more gifted that could serve the church better for this amazing moment that's happening. The greatest thing I could do is go get him and bring him back. That's rare. That is so rare. I'll tell you what it really is. That's a heart that loves people, loves Jesus, and loves the expansion of his church more than the promotion of his own name. I hope you realize I'd like to tell you that when you come to faith in Christ, pride dies. The desire to to rob glory dies. It does not. It's still very alive and well. There are big messes, you realize, in ministry and in churches that have to do with names and reputation And who's, it's still just as ugly because sin is still alive in us. This was extraordinary. This is the extraordinary gift of fading into the background and pushing someone else forward 
who's more gifted. What about you? Do you have any joy in identifying, cultivating, and promoting the gifts of others? Do you find joy seeing them do it and even do it better than you did? Or does it always have to be about you? Here's what I want you to realize. You see it played out in the book of Acts. When Barnabas hit pause on this revival and left and went and got Saul and brought him back to Antioch, he secured forever his secondary shadow status in church history. And I love him for it. In a very real sense, he gave us Paul the apostle, you guys. He gave us Paul, who went on to write the book of Romans and Colossians and Philippians. As you track through the book of Acts, you guys, you can literally see Barnabas fading and Paul becoming prominent. Acts 13, 1 to 3 says, The Holy Spirit set apart Barnabas and Saul to go on a missionary journey. In verse 7 of, th- of chapter 13, it says, When they got to the city of Paphos, the proconsul, the big deal on the island, invited Barnabas and Saul to come talk to him and share the gospel. But when their ministry on that island was finished, verse 13 says, Now Paul and his company set sail from Paphos. Oh, please stay with me a minute. Do you know how hard that is for some people? Do you see what just happened? Barnabas doesn't even get mentioned by name. He is now just anonymously lumped into, and he's being called the company of Paul. Do you know how the flesh would rise up and say, company of Paul, my foot. I'm the one that found him. You name my name forevermore. Well, just lump me in with everybody else. Who who do you think you are? I was somebody before Saul was anybody, right? Paul and his company set the rest of the book of Acts. Every time these two men are mentioned, it is now Paul and Barnabas. It'd be like all of a sudden saying, Cher and Sonny. No, it was Sonny and Cher forever. Now, she did go on and have a gig all by herself where he didn't. But folks, it's just counterintuitive to, to what we would think. He was willing to fade into the background. The famous orchestra conductor Leonard Bernstein was once asked, what is the most difficult instrument to play? And he responded with great insight about human nature when he said, quote, second fiddle. I can, listen to what he says. I can get plenty of first violin. You realize it's a big deal to be first chair, first chair violinist, first, 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 first. He said, I can get plenty of first violinists. But to find someone who plays second violin, second French horn, or second flute with just as much enthusiasm, now that's a problem. But listen to what he says, yet... If no one plays second, we have no harmony. Oh, you guys, God is the conductor who's orchestrating the song of his church. And 1 Corinthians 12 says he's gifted us all differently, but we need you all. And if no one gets excited about second, third, and fourth level gifts or using them, and it has to be first, we won't have harmony. What about you? Do you just keep chafing at the fact that you don't have first level gifts? Or are you willing to enthusiastically serve in a way that pushes others forward while you just fade into the background? Number five, when you're living for what matters most, you are controlled by the Spirit and willing to take risks. Look at, how they describe, look at how Luke describes Barnabas in verse 24. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and something else. What else? Say it again. You realize these two things go together? When you're full of the Spirit, you're often full of faith, 
Because the Spirit starts to control you and you start walking more by faith, not sight. You'll take risks. You'll take risks. But you've got to be controlled by the Spirit for that. You, you, you've got to believe. He's got to be at work. See, Paul helps us a lot with that filled with the Spirit. What does that mean, filled with the Spirit? He's a person, so it doesn't mean you get more of him. Here's what it means. He gets more of you. He starts to control you more. Paul helps us with an analogy to alcohol in Ephesians 5.18. He says, do not be drunk with wine, which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. He's making an analogy. So when you're filled with the Spirit, you are controlled by the Spirit in the same way that someone who is drunk is so controlled by alcohol that they say and do things that are uncharacteristic, sometimes hilarious, sometimes tragic. But you say, that's not like them. No, they're drunk. There ought to be times on a regular basis that you're able to say and do things that are uncharacteristic, but it's because you are controlled by the Spirit. And one of those things is that you lean in to risk a little more. Full of the Spirit and faith. Full of the Spirit and faith. And one of the biggest risks that we have opportunities to, to, to exercise is on people, is it not? Are people not the biggest risk? I mean, they're the wild card every time. Oh, there's a people factor now and it just got messy. People are some of the biggest risks. And yet, people produce some of the greatest reward when you invest in them because they're created in the image of God and are able to do some amazing things. If you've decided that you're done with people, I would ask you to reconsider. Yes, somebody may have hurt you. Somebody may have let you down. Somebody may, I don't know what happened. I've lived long enough. Trust me, it's happened to me. But I can't be done with people because I'm not done with God's kingdom. And God uses his people to accomplish his purposes. And people can do amazing things by the grace of God. Risk, you better believe it. But it's a risk worth taking. Barnabas, from the very beginning, was that guy willing to take a risk on Saul. All the way back in Acts chapter 9. You can see, remember Acts chapter 9, verse 26 and 27? And when Saul... He's just gotten saved. When Saul had come to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him. Yeah. They were all afraid of him and did not believe that he was a disciple. Folks, he'd been the hatchet man for the high priest. If someone needed to do an ugly, dastardly deed and destroy Christians, he was the guy. This was hard for them to believe. This was hard for them. They were skeptical and afraid. Well, look what it says next. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. Thank you, Barnabas. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Praise God. It doesn't matter whether you're first level, first seat instrument, second, third, fourth. We're all still weak and have a degree of mess mixed with grace but that mess and that weakness should not be paralyzing or debilitating so as we close i want to i want to turn your attention somewhere else because i think there's something else worth getting a hold of As as i close i want you to understand what jesus and the holy spirit are doing for you if you're a believer and you've put your trust in christ i want you to get a hold of what jesus and the holy spirit are doing for you because until you get a hold of that you'll never do much for him here's why i'm driving this the way i am here's what i think is so cool this paracaleo ministry that barnabas had going on was only possible because of a paracaleo ministry that jesus and the holy spirit already were doing in his own life here's what i mean That Greek word parakaleo in Acts chapter 11 that gets translated encouragement is the same word that we find in 1 John 2, 1 that gets translated advocate. Listen to it. If anyone sins, we have an advocate. It's the word paraklete. It's the noun form. So parakaleo is the verb. Paraklete is the noun. Jesus is our advocate. He gets up close to us 
and stands for us in the presence of God and says, she's still a mess, but she's mine. He still looks way far from finished, but he's mine. And the righteousness of Jesus, he pleads his righteousness, his perfection, so that you have no condemnation and you are accepted in the beloved so that when the Father sees you, he sees his perfect son. Oh, that's what Jesus is doing day and night. Jesus speaks to the Father for you, on behalf of you. Well, then what is the Holy Spirit doing? Oh, get a hold of this. Jesus speaks for you to the Father, the Holy Spirit speaks to you about what Jesus is doing. Now, in case you're saying that's kind of redundant, Brad, why do I need that? Stop and think a minute. Why do you need the Holy Spirit constantly reminding you of what Jesus is doing for you? Because we forget. We look at ourselves and say, how could God accept me? How could he love me? How could he keep me? How could he use me? And the Holy Spirit keeps saying, you're his child. You're righteous. You're accepted. You're loved. You're not condemned. Jesus speaks to the Father, and the Holy Spirit speaks to you. Thank God. So here's the question. Who are you listening to? Your flesh may be screaming lies to you and you have self-imposed condemnation. The Holy Spirit is pleading and beseeching you to believe who Jesus is for you. Not just so that you'll settle in with a warm blanket of acceptance and say, you know what will happen? It'll set you free to live for him and to love others and to reach out to others. Some of you are debilitated and paralyzed because you're still listening to lies about who you are, about who you are. Oh, God, thank you for your word. Thank you for your spirit. Lord, thank you that you don't just have great preachers and teachers, but thank you that by your spirit, you've called thousands of believers all through the centuries to get in on what you're doing through this parakaleo ministry of coming alongside, jumping in with, getting behind, and urging someone else to stay with it for life. And oh, thank you. We could not do parakaleo unless the paraclete was constantly pleading on our behalf. Give us ears to hear the Holy Spirit who says, you're an adopted son or daughter. You're mine. I love you. You're engaged. I'm preparing a wedding feast for you. You are beautiful, and I'm coming back for you. Oh, God, work in us. Settle us. Secure us so that you can use us. For your glory, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.